Welcome to the Modern Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Gavin Meenan, and on this podcast, I will be speaking to inspirational individuals who specialize in the field of physical and mental health to offer you the tools that you need to become a stronger, healthier, and more confident man in today's world. Hello and welcome to episode number 60 of the Modern Warrior podcast. Today, I am absolutely privileged to have Dr. Scott Lyons with me on the episode. Scott is the founder of the Embody Lab, which is a hub for self-discovery and healing for global transformation, which sounds fucking epic. He's also the creator of Somatic Stress Release, which I'm looking forward to hearing more about. And his own journey is one of great inspiration. So stay tuned. This is going to be an absolutely epic episode. So Scott, how are you doing, my man? Good. Thanks for having me. Yes. And thank you for taking the time to uh, record this with me. I know you're a very busy man and rightly so. So uh, yeah, what's what's been happening over the last while? Oh gosh, it's uh yeah. I mean, as you're reading my bio, it's like, oh wow, it's been a it's been a couple of years of, of uh, heavy lifting, and I mean things that are certainly my passion, and and um, you know, it, it's it's a uh, it's a beautiful thing to have one's journey reflected back. You know, even if it's in a small bio, it, there's something nice about the the reflection of of where we are and where we're going and where we've come from. Yeah. Something, uh, something we don't do very often, isn't it? We're always sort of trying to drive forward and push on, and we yeah. uh, we forget how far we've already come and the good work we've yeah. done. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's it's important. Yeah, and yeah, I'm I'm very interested in the work you've done. As I said, I came across your page there some time ago. And we've been trying to make this podcast happen for uh, quite some time, and yes, there's a few things we can go into. Um, maybe first of all, I'm very intrigued and interested to know what somatic stress release is and why that's such an integral part of the work you've done or the work you do yeah so so somatic but we can break down the words (laughs) that's kind of a a helpful entry point i think uh so somatic it means soma means body s-o-m-a body and um somatics is is the process of coming in tune or attuned with the living body so the the which can be kind of a confusing concept um so i'll break it down a little bit (laughs) so the the idea that the living body the body is a living entity an emergent experience as opposed to like we're just like robots doing doing the thing what our nervous system tells us to do and that's it as opposed to like we have sensation and feeling and whole gamut of experience that's not limited to what's happening in our brain and um like just even the experience of love you know it's like when you think about love you had likely a lot of sensations experiences whether it's like dizziness or the, the the sense of falling or confusion or i mean it could you know each person has had their own experience or like feeling claustrophobic or whatever the historic nature of love is, you know, mixed with the love of that moment. And, and that's more of a somatic experience, a body experience. There's a, a, an internal language and wisdom 
that is inherent in the body. And that is the language of somatics, the language of the body. And it is our first language. So before we can speak Russian or English or German or um, Indonesian, you know, we speak this primal language of the body. And we, we I mean, you see that in babies, they're more attuned and responsive uh, to the sensations and feelings and movements within their body and the environment. Mm. Interesting. So that's, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's the somatic part. And then how that relates to stress is um, I'll, I'll talk about kind of a definition of stress or a reframing of stress in a moment, but essentially where does stress happen? We can blame and, and project all we want of like, it's happening out there. It's because of that person. It's because of this situation or circumstance. But that's not actually where stress happens. That's a stimulus in the environment that is interacting with you. And stress happens within you, within the body, within the soma. So the more we try to attune and fix the environment and the circumstances around us, the less we are giving ourselves empowerment to be in relationship and to navigate and adapt to the circumstances because we are outside of ourselves. Our wisdom to engage and adapt to circumstances comes from being present within ourselves and present to what is happening within ourselves. So, um, you know, that's, that's one aspect of somatic stress release is like bringing it back home to where it's actually happening to where we have empowerment and control to navigate what is happening and to navigate even from a cognitive perceptual perspective, like the circumstances that are happening around us, it's partially true. And I say partially true because it's partially what's actually happening in the environment. And a good portion of it is actually our perception of it. And our physiological response to that perception and then our perception to our physiological response. It get, it's a loop. And then we project it back out in the environment and we're feeding off of it. And it's like, so at some point, if we're not here within ourselves to be part, to interact with that loop, that's, that sensory perceptual loop, we are at the mercy of our thoughts, of our uh, old patterns of relating to stress of our, um, we're at the mercy of what we perceive as happening in the environment, which we have no control over. Mm -hmm. And in fairness, some, there's a fair amount of circumstances we don't have control of, of what's happening in the environment. And we have more control than we think about what's happening within our body and how we are responsive to it. So stress itself, you know, um, is not some evil thing lurking around the corner stress is actually if we there are there's some beautiful studies that um demonstrated when they and, and for those who at home who have a sense of stomach about animal cruelty um for forewarning uh you know they, there's studies on animals where they have taken or dissected essentially or cut off the mechan the stress response mechanisms in the body and those animals failed to thrive they died because they could not adapt to the environment they could not adapt to their own circumstances and they couldn't identify what was happening within them 
to be able to navigate and adapt essentially. So um, what that says and, and what it actually is, is relevant or what is accurate toward to stress itself is that stress is our biological adaptation system. You know, all, all the things we try to shy away from and move away, like I'm so stressed out, like, oh, this is so stressful. Um, those are just signals happening in our body that let us know we are in the process of biological adaptation and we either work towards what is happening, connecting to what is happening and adapt or get sick because it is the failure to adapt that makes us sick. The failure to identify, register, connect, and be with and mobilize this um, energy response system that it makes us sick, not stress itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, quite powerful. Yeah. And there's a lot of talk at the moment, of course, about mental health, but a lot of people perceive mental health as just being focused on your on your mind, on your head, but it's all connected in terms of your body as well. And this is what where the somatic somatic uh, stress really sort of comes in. Yeah, I mean, one one easy example to sort of give is like you know, um, children in, in environments where there's more chaos will typically have what's called a startle, like a, a more hyperactive startle reflex. Like it kind of looks like the Superman when they're on their belly. Uh, <laughs> and um, that's a, a reflex about navigating and orienting to the environment, their, their senses to the environment in order to um, see what's happening and identify and adapt to it. Now, when there's so much chaos in the environment, there's this overactive startle reflex and they get stuck in it. And you'll see like babies where um, they have this like this curvature in their back that's, you know, we're on a podcast, but so you can't see me, but there's a, there's this curvature, there's a whole postural, uh, um, uh, there's a posture that comes into kind of habit because it, because we become more attuned and accustomed to being in that positioning. Long story short, that carries over, that doesn't go away unless it gets taken care of. So that posture carries with us into childhood, into you know, um, adolescence and adulthood, and it starts to um, make us more hypervigilant to what is happening in our environment and less attuned to what is happening in our own body. And that posture itself creates a hyperactiveness, hyperattentiveness, like a vigilance. And it's not like that person is just vigilant you know, in themselves. It's actually the body posturing that is signaling to, that, uh, to the brain, to the nervous system, that individual to be on alert. So no, it's not just the mind. We can, I could, we could talk to that individual for years about like calming down, but until it's addressed in the body, which has been there for a long time, that pattern is going to stay. So somatics really is a body-mind integrative practices because they're, they're not separate. So it is about when you're practicing somatic stress release, it's mm -hmm. movement through the body or is it more about expressing how you feel in the body through your language or through um, your voice or is it both yeah it, it's all of the above because there's no one single approach to dealing with stress because 
an, an approach to dealing with it should be as unique as the individual who's experiencing it. And so when I was talking about like stress is happening in their, in someone's body, that's also impacted by their culture, their genetics, their, um, ancestral lineage of, of, of trauma, uh, their, their metabolism, their, their hydration, their nutrition. And, and so, um, what works for one person in that particular moment will not necessarily work for another person in the exact same way in the, in a different circumstance or even in the same circumstances. So having an understanding of how do you enter in to meet someone where they are with a ton of different types of tools is really the only way to, to best serve uh, someone when you're working with them. So un unfortunately, there's not some like, here's the two tricks of how to do it and, and you're done. That, that sort of is a, a, a very limited concept or approach to um, the complexity or the dynamics of, of how humans are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's very relative. Yeah. <laughs> but, but there are certain things. We know that the biological system, this, this stress system, has several main stages, which is a activation stage. So the energy is percolating up in order to do something. Mobilization, which is the energy is starting to be expended or used in the body um, in order to action or adapt. Yeah. And then there's a de-escalation phase. There's a process to which we are um, moving back to set point, which is our homeostasis, physiological set point. And, and then there's a restoration period where we are restoring the resources in order to keep doing that. So we know that's the cycle. And there are a ton of reasons and a ton of places where people get stuck in that cycle. So I might get all this energy and activation, but hold it tight and never actually mobilize it. And so it literally stagnates in your body. All that cortisol, all those hormones that are typically have a bad name are just meant to get you up and ready to adapt and action and when it gets stuck and stagnated in the body then we have a problem hmm. yeah when you talk about taking action that's the flight or fight response that you're talking of is it or is it deeper well, it's it's yeah it's more it's more um what I would say is fight or flight was when Walter Cannon came up with those titles, it was over a hundred years ago and they're popular concepts, but they're two of many ways of mobilizing. Um, and so, yes, we like, you might mobilize stress like at a gym. That's not a fight response. <laughs> you're not, you're not fighting. You're just mobilizing some through a push. Yeah. Um, and, or you might, um, do some br breath work practices. That's on a flight park. That's not fleeing. That's not fighting. That's literally a mobilization that involves, um, breath and movement. So yes, it, 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 in the broad category of mobilization, fight or flight is included in there, but there are so many more. Mm. Yeah. And it's, this is where people would use some sort of distraction or outlet to um, minimize the, 
the anxiety or the pain that would come up in those situations. Like, for example, going back to that um, movement again, you know, instead of going to the gym, someone else may go on to a porn site and that's their sort of um, mobilization or someone else will go. Well, there's a difference between mobilization and sort of um, escapism. Yeah, avoidance. Because what happens as part of that cycle is that we feel what is actually here. When you de-escalate, when you go after mobilization, the, the, the way the, the physiology is structured is that we become more attuned to the emotional experience that is attached to the, the adaptation response. Mm-hmm. So if you are familiar with suppression of emotion or avoidance of emotion, you're sure as hell not going to finish this cycle. You are not going to be in an actual adaptation cycle. You will never actually reach restoration in the true fashion of it. And you will experience likely things like fatigue. Mm-hmm. You are running on fumes because if, 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 if there is suppression and look, there are tons of reasons the, the more humanistic concept is like, there are tons of reasons why we don't ever complete this cycle. It's scary. It was never allowed. We were never supported. It was never safe enough. There's a multitude of reasons. So there's no shame in it. And it's important to acknowledge all the places we don't, we haven't been allowed or we don't, and we continue to not let ourselves be allowed to finish this basic primal biological adaptations cycle in our in our through our physiology yeah interesting yes and you have been on your own journey as well and plenty of difficulties in your past that have sort of brought you to this point and perhaps have embedded this passion for helping people and i know this is incredibly inspirational to a lot of listeners and Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, You know, that example I gave of like the the hypervigilant individual, um, the the sort of hyperactive like uh, stress, you know, stress or or startle reflex certainly would describe me as a kid and and, and as an adult. And, um, you know, the, the, the chaos of the environment I grew up in, um, certainly lent itself to a, a lot of um, learning challenges. I mean, that's how it manifested. And, you know, I had pretty severe food allergies, which, you know, back in the 80s, no one gave a shit about, you know, in the same way that, you know, it's like, there's, there was never a thing like a gluten-free restaurant back then. <laughs> um, and, and so like, you know, there was a, there was a level of toxicity and an inability to adapt to circumstances um, and, or think clearly. And, um, and so I, you know, I grew up with very severe learning disabilities. I, um, which, you know, it, it, it also then impacts, it impacted mine. And I, I know that it impacts others, self-esteem, things like, as stupid as an actual IQ number, which, you know, it, it is absolutely irrelevant. Like, you know, like, um, I, I, you know, when I remember when I was uh, maybe in fifth grade and, and the psychologist sat me down 
and told me that my IQ is extraordinarily low and they're concerned um, and that I should be, you know, I was in special education and, um, and they, they sort of sat me down and just said, have low expectations of life, essentially. And, um, and, <laughs> and, and, you know, and that was my experience. And um, for the first, certainly in, in early high school too, is, is um, uh, I, there were things, there were mental blocks. There were, it was literally like, you know, a haze over my eyes. And, and at times, like I was heavily medicated for like ADHD and all this. And I, um, you know, I remember saying to my parents um, that the medications, they, I wasn't meant to be on medication and they made me feel not myself. And um, so I would tell my parents I was taking them, but I, I, I um, wasn't um, at a certain point. So I made my own decision because I knew something for me was not true. Um, and that, and I'm not saying that globally because some people really benefit um, from, from this type of stimulant drugs or, or other medication. But I knew for me that it was something else, something else was getting in my way that, it, that, that you know, medication itself um, was covering up for me to access and, and, and navigate it. And um, turns out that was true. <laughs> um, and, you know, uh, as, as I found my, um, my tribe, so to speak, and I, I went to, I, you know, in high school, I, I think I switched four or five times high schools and, um, you know, between being, being bullied by students and bullied by teachers, it was pretty gnarly. Um, you know, that, uh, told I was stupid and, and stuff like that, which is like, I mean, teachers have so much power and there are some amazing teachers out there. And, and, um, and, and thankfully I found finally at, at the right high school, the teachers that were so kind and caring and, 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 um, and it makes, a, it, it truly makes it such a life-changing difference. Um, you know, I'm still surprised I never went into, I mean, I, I have an education platform. I teach a lot, but I, you know, the fact that I never went into early, early, um, early education is still a surprise to me um, because it, they saved my life. I mean, I had nutrition classes in high school and all of a sudden I realized, huh, I wonder if I just start exploring this a little bit. And, and started on my own, just like getting rid of gluten and soy and dairy. And all of a sudden, like, it was like that cloud that has, you know, I've been carrying for years, um, started to lift. And, um, you know, got deeply into dance and yoga and, and started, and I could feel my brain start to make connections that just felt like they had, there was an absence. I could start to feel my body. You know, I, I'd spent most of my childhood pretty dissociated, pretty disconnected from myself and and reality from, you know, combination of, um, you know, having not processed a lot of early trauma, uh, a lot of nutritional stuff. And, um, and, it, and I was introduced to somatics, actually, in, in high school. I was, by the time I was a senior, I was, um, or junior, I was at um, university 
and there was a university class uh, called body mind centering and um i i don't know i just you know sometimes when you just feel like the uh, there's a compass inside you and it's leading you towards something i just felt like i have to take this and um it was a class that re went through a lot of those early developmental patterns those movement patterns so a developmental pattern like the startle reflex and and completing it and finishing it where it where it might have gotten stuck and um yeah, I, I went from, you know, in, in junior high school and early, early high school being told I would probably never even graduate high school to becoming valedictorian by the end. And um, can you tell us you what know, that means? Because uh, the Irish audience uh, would yeah. know what that to, means. to basically being uh, the, t the top uh, in a graduating class. So there was a couple of us because we all tied. But um, yeah and and you know getting into the university of my dreams and um feeling like i had a future and and you know that's that's um it's devastating i think uh, of, of how so many other systems in our in, in you know I, i'm a, from america so i'm going to say american-centric things but you know the systems in the u.s but i don't think it's limited to the the, the, the school systems, the cultural systems, the oppressive sim systems that have so much control um, or so much um, effect on children to think that they don't have a future. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, you know, if, if, if there's anything I feel passionate about the most, it's about um, giving children hope for a future. And I don't mean you know, just that they can feel safe, that they can have agency and choice, um, and that, that the, 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 they're not destined by what other people tell them about their intellectual level or their race or their, um, uh, their religion or um, any of the things that might oppress someone from, from actualizing their potential. Yeah. So... Demonstrate, yeah, it demonstrates the, the the impact of and the influence of and the power that parents have over their children as well. And um, I can certainly relate to that. And many of the guys I work with can certainly relate to that because many of the guys I work with, when we peel back the layers, we understand that it is you know their difficulties right now are it's at at its source comes from some sort of rejection of themselves in their earlier years that whenever they express themselves that that was somewhat rejected by the parents and they suppress their true self. And then they're trying to almost create this false persona to fit into society and to meet their parents' expectations and then completely lose themselves along the way. So I feel you're extremely fortunate to have good teachers who, who guided you in the right direction. And yes, as you were speaking about that, I was thinking, holy shit, like how many others have been where you are and, you know, that became their self-belief and ultimately their, their self-limiting beliefs and they're still stuck in that situation today. Um, yeah. You know, there's so many people who have, who have had perhaps learning difficulties, but they were told or misguided by, by the wrong people and are still lost today. So, 
yeah, yeah. That's incredible that you that, that you had that um guidance in your life yeah yeah i feel very honored and privileged to, to have um and the the you know that inner voice that kept saying this is not this is not you mm. you know and and i'm i feel fortunate that i had that 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 pushed me to say like every time a teacher told me i was stupid or uh you know i gotta you know had to do another in you know iq test or something and and all of those things that um you know that voice that said bullshit bullshit like I, i there's something that they just don't see and and you know when i started training as a trauma therapist 18 years ago and started integrating a lot of it and and a lot of um like my mind just got clearer and clearer and I had more access to my sensations and feelings and I became more adaptable. And I was like, this is what I'm talking about. I couldn't do it then. I couldn't figure out that math problem, not because I was stupid or not because I wasn't interested. It's, it, was, it was the haze of trauma that, that affects concentration and focus and, and what energy and, and one's ability. And, um, and there's something just so human. Um, and I, I, I appreciate, you know, my mentors like, you know, Dr. Peter Levine and Dr. Gabor Mate and, and people who are humanizing the, the process of saying all of these things that, in, um, that we shame people for, that we shame people for addiction and we shame people for um, their inability to focus or show up on time or, what, or share their feelings or whatever it is. And, and we're, we're missing the, the things that have impacted and, and created that patterning. And, and not everyone is fortunate enough to, to be able to even be able to stand outside themselves and go, hey, what's going on? Most of us have internalized that. And, and as you said, like they, they, we, we take that on as who we are. You know, I remember um, standing at my graduation from my my doctorate um and this was you know i'll just say like uh this was my fifth graduate degree and i remember standing there looking out at the crowd and going i'm still not smart enough and just here you know even though i've i i spent all those years going that's not me it's like it it lasts it it, those those you know that internalization um it it lasts and and it's it's you know, I can laugh at it now and be like, you know, and, and, and craft for it because it's sad, but it, it's, it's, um, it takes so, it takes a tribe to love you and reparent you enough to, including yourself, I mean, to do the work with yourself, to, to, um, to step out from that, that idea of this is who I am. Mm-hmm. And, and step into the actual felt experience of this is just a moment in time or this is or I'm, I'm in touch with just the raw potential of who I am and I and I operate from that yeah incredible uh, something you've mentioned there several times is tribe and whenever it sort of comes to somebody looking to reach out because they've got some sort of depression or anxiety or some sort of an underlying pain that's just become too much and their first sort of the first thing they initiate or the first thing they do is to reach out and perhaps 
find a counselor or find a psychologist, which is a very one-to-one personal intimate um, arrangement or intimate relationship that goes on for a long period of time. And I've, I've been there. I've been um, in and out of counseling sessions and, and psychologists psychologist for a number of years. And I still see a psychologist every couple of weeks just to sort of maintain my mental health. But I've never really, yeah, I've never associated myself with a tribe or with a group of people who are maybe going through a similar sort of situation as I have. And to me, I'm somewhat oblivious to the power of that, perhaps, or maybe I'm missing something. And I'm very interested to hear about your perception of that and whether, again, is this completely subjective? Yeah, look, for one person, maybe one-to-one sessions with the psychologist going to work best for them. They don't need the whole tribe thing. Or is that something very important to integrate with everyone's journey, you know, um, this, and it, I know it does bring a sense of belonging and acceptance, but is that something that they can sort of cultivate within themselves without the tribe? Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great question. I think, um, I think there's a, a hearty debate, <laughs> um, in, in that realm in terms of even evolutionary psychology. Um, you know, and, and I, I think that there's a, you know, there's a lot of research that talks about we are social beings. Um, the idea that we are an isolated entity or being or individual is a perceptual facade. It's a, you know, we, we um, you know, how when you walk into a room and you're like, oh, there's something going on with that person. We, like there's that like attuned sensitivity like that's because we have a social nervous system we are social we are evolutionary designed or whatever your you know perception is you could also say we were are all have already always been one uh, articulations of of oneness whatever your spiritual orientation is, or if you're more into evolutionary psychology or whatever, we have a social nervous system, essentially. We are social beings. Um, And, and, you know, one of the most um, serious uh, uh, conditions that emerges out of loneliness and rejection I mean, the, that is, there's, you know, just in the last two years, um, there's a heavy focus on going of recognizing the effects of loneliness and isolation. Partly, we have a lot more research from the pandemic, too, <laughs> and um, and its massive effects on our own health. And that that doesn't even mean there was a pre-existing condition. It's like what happens when we become isolated, when we feel cut off, when we feel rejected, when we feel any of these, and the effects are profound on our physiology. Mm-hmm. The effects are profound on our, our mental well-being. Or, and um, so the question of, can we do it alone? Can we do it in, in, in like one-on-one? Can we do it in, in groups? I, I don't think there's one absolute. I'm not, I'm not an absolutist by any stretch of the imagination, but um, I, I, there is different experiences that happen 
when we're doing our self-work by ourselves, when we're doing it maybe with a therapist one-on-one, when we're doing it in small group uh, or large group process. Um, you know, I, I, there, I'm thinking about like clients I've worked with where they were in a um, partnership and I, I said, I think this is now time to do couples therapy, not because they were having issues, but because there's something about, um, there's another level or another layer of something that I felt could only really emerge from doing it in the moment with, with that partnership. Um, and, it, and it worked out that uh, something that we were trying to connect with for a long time really needed that other person to be, an, another person in that intimate experience to be present with them. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if that answers your question. Quite yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, well, there, there is that in terms of something I've spoken about over the last few podcasts is, you know, when you're, when you're going through this process of maybe healing or improving yourself or self-development or whatever you want to call it, you know, improving mm-hmm. yourself. So, or, or coming to peace with your past, there is a certain process and again, you can give me your take on this of certain process you go through where um, you sort of step into the void where you're leaving people and things behind in order to cultivate something better in your life, perhaps. And in that void, that's where it's quite lonely. And that's where ultimately you're tested. Okay. How serious and how committed are you about this? Or are you willing to be in this void be in this loneliness be with this discomfort and continue persevering to get to the other side or is this discomfort too much and you fall back into your old habits and old friendships and old relationships because oh no i can't i can't can't do this or again maybe just timing maybe you step into the void several times and you fall back and you go back and into the void and then it's eventually you you uh you manage to get beyond the threshold perhaps but yeah and like my personal experience like that that has been my personal experience of i've gone through the process of you know one-to-one work i've then sort of developed my own strategies my own practices my own habits that i would be consistent on a daily basis i'm a big advocate for journaling and spending time on my own every single day before i start the day and just checking out myself on a regular basis all those sort of things but along with that as i began to make peace my past and began to change my energy perhaps let's call it that i've also established new friendships in my life and the friends that i had five ten fifteen years ago are, are no longer in my group so yeah i've sort of been doing my own bit of work on the side so to speak but as, as i've been doing that as i've been improving i have sort of um, developed a new tribe of people around me um, good friends who i can have intimate conversations what they're also on that path of progression and self-improvement so i just haven't done that sort of group work as such and i'm just quite curious about that whether that's a necessity or that's just um subjective on the individual um i would be i did go through a period there where i was very isolated very alone and even throughout that isolation and that loneliness, I began to understand that I was pushing people away because 
part of my process was to understand that I had a fear of rejection based upon a lot of rejections in my past from parents, from teachers, from friends, being bullied, all that sort of thing. So as I've got to grip with that, which has only really been in recent times, I've been mm. able to allow more people in. Um, so yeah, maybe I would have crossed that threshold a little bit quicker, a little bit more efficiently if I was in a group, uh, but I don't know. Um, and I'm at this sort of process right now, as I said, and this maybe brings me on to the next question as well, where I've been with a psychologist for a number of years. Um, I'm in a pretty good place in my life. And even with the people I work with right now, like there is a process there where we get to a certain point and people who go to therapy, when do you know, or is there ever a point where you get to the, do you get to the point of knowing when it's time to go and you can sort of leave the therapy behind and continue your life without it? Or is it something that you need to sort of integrate in your life for life? Is there, is there an answer? To a, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of, uh, sometimes I don't remember to do it on the uh, first session and I don't, you know, but I'm a big fan of therapists asking on the first session, how will we know when we're done to the client? What will that look like? When can we celebrate together that, that, um, that your healing has taken you to a place where you feel ready to just fly on your own? And I think it looks different for a lot of people. Um, I, I think we're, and you know, it, it, it's important to remember that you can leave therapy and then come back. Um, <laughs> you can do it however you want. Like this is, this is about your own personal transformation. I mean, I think there are a lot of things that can get in our own way of recognizing. Like, you know, it's, it, it takes some time to feel the difference between um, completion and avoidance. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it, and it feels different. It just feels like there isn't um, something pulling on you anymore or like the, the like direct, like slowing down the car, so to speak, from driving. Like, um, you know, you know what it's like if you've, I don't know, if, if do, do you get a lot of snow there? Not a lot of snow, yeah, but no, no. we're familiar with snow, yeah. <laughs> I grew up in, um, in, in the Minnesota for some years and, you know, it's like, tons of snow uh and you would put sand in your trunk to help give some more weight so that when you're sliding it's safer and i always remember the experience of driving in my parents car with the sand throughout the winter and then the experience um in the spring when they had the first ride after they took the sand out and it just felt like oh god gosh things are just like it just feels more like we're in flow. Like there's not something dragging, you know, as down in the car. It, it, it's a very subtle feeling, but you know, it, it was, it was a profound one for me that I, I do remember. And um, that's kind of how I think about like, how do we know when we're ready? It's like, there's no more sand in the trunk or there's enough sand in the trunk. There's enough sand out of the trunk that I feel like I'm just ready to explore what's next and see what happens and know that I can come back. Yeah. Well, for me personally, I think it's a matter of coming to um, a point of inner peace. You know, it's not, it's not 
chaotic within and uh, when you're speaking about the car what i was thinking of is you're no longer like towing a trailer behind you you know you're not no longer dragging a weight with you through your life anymore you can sort of let that go and, and move more freely so um i think yeah. it's very, again very well of what you what you said there well thank you so much dr scott lyons for uh your incredible insights, inspiration, and value on this conversation. And I know you've got a couple of things going on, uh, which we mentioned at the beginning. So if any of the listeners want to reach out, check out your work, where is the best place to find you? Probably the, um, the embodylab.com. So the embodylab, E-M-B-O-D-Y-L-A. <laughs> no, <laughs> L-A-B. <laughs> That's how you spell lab. <laughs> the embodylab. <laughs> um most of my most of the, all the stuff i'm teaching is is on there and um and people can also find me on instagram i will one day post again it's in the works uh I, I took a year off and was more than um delighted by that experience uh but it's a, it's at dr scott lyons dr scott lyons yeah, yeah i uh, i've checked out all those pages the in in body lab is uh, is a great place for uh yeah information sources and uh, inspiration so uh yeah and i'm slightly envious that you've been able to take a year off from social media so <laughs> i'm looking forward to the to the day when i can do that but uh yeah um, thank you so much scott my pleasure thank you so much take care